I th- Tony, I thought you had your baby. Do you have your baby, Tony? Okay. You know, it doesn't matter if beds are full or not. When when <laughs> that baby comes, that's right, right. <laughs> I was just surprised to see it. Well, we'll be praying, praying for Tony because she's about to have a baby. Little girl or boy, do you know? Tuesday. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, God knows. So, <laughs> uh, well, if you have your, what's that? Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're continuing our study through First Peter. Now we're in Second Peter. We're in chapter one. We're going to be looking at the first four verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Bill has them in his hand. He'll love to bring one to you so you can follow along with us. Second Peter chapter one. We're going to be looking at the first four verses. I got to catch my breath. I, I ran downstairs to see the kids worshiping this morning. It was so cool. It's just packed, and they're all just singing these songs. And then you, they were done worshiping. Up here, so I had to run up to my office and get my notes. Then come back down. It's like, okay, let's just take a, a break. Then we'll get going. All right. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse one, we read: Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The title of my message this morning is Getting Back in the Game. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a church to be in your word, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you have something to say to each one of us personally, individually, but also as a church as a whole. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing that work in our lives and teaching us and and instructing us. And we thank you, Lord, that as we... Uh, We can pray, Lord, that as we leave this place this morning, we would be drawn closer to you and our relationship with you. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to come into that saving relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that they would come to know him as their Lord and as their Savior today. Bless our time together, we pray. We commit it to you, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love Charlie Brown stories. Charlie Brown, he's at bat and strikes out again. As he trudges back to the bench, he laments, Rats, I'll never be a big league player. I just don't have it. All my life I've been dreaming of playing in the big leagues, but I know I'll never make it. Lucy turns to console him. Charlie Brown, you're thinking too far ahead. What you need to do is set some more immediate goals. He looks up and asks, immediate goals? Lucy says, yes, start with the next inning when you go out to pitch. See if you can walk out to the mound without falling down. Have you ever felt like that spiritually? Many of us wonder if we'll ever be in the big leagues with our Christian faith. Perhaps you've struck out so many times you don't think you can take another step because you're afraid of falling down again. I think one of the underlying themes in the Olympic Games is, is the uh, athletes understand that the success doesn't come without battle scars. Men and women, maybe because of injury or, or mistakes, have failed to achieve the goal. They said perhaps they wonder if they'll ever see victory. 
But man, right after it's over, they start working out again, training for the next four years to get one more chance at success. And there are circumstances in our own lives that help us to relate to these incredible athletes. We wear battle scars, and sometimes we wonder if we'll ever see victory. But as believers in Christ, we can rest easy knowing that God uses battle scars for His glory. We're told in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, Come and let us return to the Lord, for He is torn, but He will heal us. He is stricken, but He will bind us up. In fact, it's been often said, often the doorway to success is entered through the hallway of failure. Or put it another way, if at first you don't succeed, relax, you're just like the rest of us. Because we've all had those times in our lives when we fall flat on our faces. It's like the high school baseball coach who was so frustrated with his first baseman who kept making error after error. So at practice, the coach grabbed a glove to show the player just how it should be done. The first grounder took a bat hop and clobbered the coach in the chest. Next came a pop-up that he lost in the sun and smashed into his forehead. Later, a wild throw from the shortstop caused him to stretch, tearing his pants. Exasperated, the coach turned to his first baseman and shouted, You've got this position so messed up that even I can't do a thing with it. <laughs> Listen, we're all going to have setbacks in life as well. And I want you to know that if you have failed, you are in good company. No doubt Peter never forgot his extreme failure in trying to live faithfully for Christ. His outspoken, although all will deny you, I will never deny you. And we saw what that got him. Though he was forgiven, obviously that is something you never forget. And it doesn't help that it was recorded in Matthew and Mark's gospel for all of history to read. Yet the Lord recommissioned Peter when he said, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And Peter, despite his failures, took the Lord literally at his word. He's being obedient to the calling that Christ had given to him. So Peter, by way of encouragement, is writing to Christians to help them see that God is not done with them. That despite our failures, despite our setbacks, we need to know that God has given us everything we need to live godly lives, holy lives, set-apart lives for him if we simply walk by faith. Now, with that said, 2 Peter is a little bit different than 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, he was concerned about the dangers from the outside, like persecution and oppression and suffering. But in 2 Peter, he's more concerned with the dangers of the inside, like uh, in, in, in terms of deception and false teaching. In fact, at the very core of this whole chapter, the section we're looking at this morning, it's all about our spiritual growth. So if you're taking notes... I want to give us five things to look at this morning within these four verses that will help us get back in the game. Five P's that will help us remember. We're going to look at number one, the person. Number two, the people. Number three, the purpose. Number four, the power. And number five, the promises. First thing we need to look at is the example of, in the example of Peter is, is, is number one, the person. Look at verse one again. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Don't pass over his name too quickly. It doesn't just say, hey, it's Peter here, but it's Simon Peter. This shows us the before and after Peter. You know, you've seen those extreme makeovers where the people come out. I think they actually make them look, you know, kind of messed up a little bit. Then they fix their hair and they come out. Oh, it's well, personal. Well, you made them look really bad before. And now they look better now. We've seen that. Well, this is kind of the picture of Peter. Because the name Simon actually means shifting sand. And it spoke of something that is unstable and that likes sand. That was Peter before he met Christ. Undisciplined. 
unstable, like shifting sand. He had a lot of good intentions, but no faithfulness. But then when Peter met Jesus, all of that changed. We're told in uh, John chapter 1, verse 42, that Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. In Aramaic, the word for stone is Cephas. In Greek, it's, uh, the word for stone is Petros. It's where we get our English word for Peter. The point is that Peter would no longer be shifting sand, but was to become the rock, stable, sure, and faithful after he was born again. So again, in Peter using his old name, Simon, he's recalling his old life, and then using his new name, Peter, he's showing his new life in Christ. He's showing us that in the same way the transformation has taken place in him, it can take place in each one of our lives. Let me give you another example. Phrenology. It's a term that was used back in the 1800s. It was a study of a person's personality traits. We do it today, but we don't do it like they did it in the 1800s. They would study a personality, a person's personality traits through reading the bumps on their head. So they touch their head and you got this bump and that bump. Now we laugh at that, but, but that's what they did back then. That was science. With that said, I found this story of a phrenologist who was lecturing in a certain town and he claimed that he could tell anyone's nature by examining the bumps on their head. Well, this rough-faced, stern-looking man volunteered to come up to the platform. After thoroughly examining this man's head, the phrenologist proudly described this man as hard and cold and, and a very disagreeable disposition. Well, the audience began to laugh in an uproar because they knew this man to be anything but... In fact, one of the audience members said, come on, this man is the kindest, warmest person there is. You can be further from the truth. To which this stern-faced man that was examined suddenly spoke up and said, hold on a minute. The person he described as cold and hard and this disagreeable disposition is an exact portrayal of my nature before the Lord Jesus took possession of my life. Since Jesus has come into my life, my life is completely different. Listen, that is true of Peter and it's true of each and every one of us as believers. I know, to be true with some of you here, that I know personally how God has radically changed your life because I've heard your testimonies. I've seen the power of God working in your life. I've seen your old driver's license. I know you've changed. Listen, before we come to Christ, we're all in God's eyes sinful and vile. But after conversion through the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, we're changed. We're enabled to live holy lives, just lives, lives that bring God glory. And even though we may fail and even though we may fall, we need to look to the Lord and get back up again, get back into the game. So we have number one, Peter, the person who is writing the letter. Number two, the people, people he's writing it to. Look at who Peter is writing this to in the second part of verse one. He's writing it to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter's writing to us, to those of us that have the same precious faith that Peter had. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done for each and every person. Peter says, you've obtained the same faith like precious faith as I have. The, the words obtained like precious faith has the meaning of receiving equal citizenship. In other words, it's like if Prince Charles, for some reason, wanted to become an American citizen, and so did the owner of a pub in, in England, though from totally two different classes of people, their citizenship would not be based on who they are, but on the requirements of becoming a citizen. 
They would both have to file the same paperwork, take the same test, and get sworn in as a citizen in the same way. And so Peter is saying, listen, we all have become citizens of heaven in the same way, by grace through faith. Only one way to become a Christian, and that's through the faith in Jesus Christ. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us, that we're saved by faith uh, and not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Through faith in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who is both fully God and fully human. As a man, Jesus could represent all men as their Savior from sin. It was there on the cross of Calvary that He took upon Himself my sin and your sin and our place, and He offers to give us perfect, His perfect righteousness, to make you and I citizens of heaven. Our part is simply to repent and believe by faith, and when you do, you're saved from the eternity of sin, from hell, from, from death. That's what the like faith that Peter's talking about that we have in common with Him. And why we can get up from our past failures and get back in the game because, because it's been and always will be about Jesus and His love and His forgiveness towards us. So we have number one, the person. Number two, the people. This brings us to number three, the purpose. What is Peter's purpose in writing the letter? To pick a peck of pickled peppers. No, that's not what it is. A lot of peas. Look at verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The purpose is is spiritual knowledge. Take, word, take note of this word knowledge here. It's a Greek word, epignosis. It's where we get the knowledge of pig's noses. No, it's not. It's, it's an experiential understanding. That's what Peter's talking about. In fact, you could say that spiritual knowledge is the theme of Second Peter. Peter is praying that our knowledge of God and, and of, of Jesus our Lord would be multiplied. Not just attitude, but multiply. That's the purpose in Peter writing the letter. That he may impart to you and I some of that experiential knowledge that he has gained from walking with Christ. And we know that Peter had gone through some pretty heavy lessons in his life. Lord, if that's really you, then bid me to step out into the water also. Hey, this is great. Then he got his eyes off the Lord and remembered what happened. Blup, 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 down he went. Lord, it's great that we're here. Let's build three uh, ta- tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Oops. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to say anything. Peter says, listen, I've got some insights. Uh, I've got some experiences. Even some failures that just might help you in your walk with our Lord. Some experiential understanding of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's Peter's purpose. To pass on what he knows. Listen, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you also have some experiential understanding of God and of Jesus our Lord that you can pass on as well. Let me tell you this. The passing on our faith first begins in our homes. The passing on of our faith begins in our families, with our kids, with our grandkids. We're told in Psalm 145.4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. story I read about a family that had a precious family heirloom, this, this, heirloom, this, this vase, and it's been passed down from generation after generation. One day the parents of the family who had the possession of the vase left the teenagers at home while they went out shopping for the day. When they returned home, the children met the parents at the door with these sad faces reporting, Mother, Father, you know that precious heirloom our family passes down from one generation to the next while our generation just dropped it. 
Listen, every generation has memories, stories, and values it wants to pass along to the next generation. But this is especially true for our spiritual values of our faith. And we certainly don't want our children's faith to be dropped after they leave the house. So it takes passing it along. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. We must train our children in the ways of the Lord. We must pass on what God has taught us to our children. And don't just stop. Oh, they're teenagers now. That's all we can do. No, keep going. Some people think, well, it's a church's job uh, to teach the kids. And some parents take themselves out of the game. I don't know, maybe it's a lack of knowledge or some prior mistakes in their lives that they somehow feel disqualified from being the, the child's spiritual influencer in their child's life. But if you know enough of the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, then you know enough to be influencing your children to believe in Jesus as well. And it starts in the home. And the reality is that you are present much more in your child's life than any church leader can ever be. The times of testings and struggles that you've gone through in your life has caused you to learn valuable lessons from the Lord that you don't want to cast aside. You don't want to just forget about. We should all desire to pass down what God has worked in our lives, not only to our children, but to others around us. And as younger Christians, we should always be looking towards those who have walked the walk longer and see what you can glean from them. It's working together. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. So we need to be willing and encouraged to pass on what God has done in our lives to bring comfort to those around us and be willing to receive it as well. And now Peter, because of his experience, has something to say that we need to listen to. This brings us to point number four. And our fourth P, the power. Look at verse 3. As His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. You catch the running theme here. Peter, the person is Peter. He's the author of the letter. The people he's writing to is, is you and I, like-minded believers. The purpose is spiritual knowledge that he can pass on to us from the lessons he's learned. And number four, the power. The power Peter wants us to know comes from God that through His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus is the key that unlocks all things pertaining to a full and holy life. If life came with a, a treasure map, He'd be the X that marks the spot. Now here's the great thing, and the biggest lesson that we can learn is that through the power of God, He has already given everything we need to live a godly life. Notice that it doesn't say that it will be given to you or if you try hard enough and if you're good enough, you might get it. No, he says, it's through his divine power. He has given it to you. Past tense. He's already given you everything that that pertains to life and godliness. Well, when was it given to you? The moment you got saved. The moment you were born again. Everything that you need to experience real life, abundant life, and to live godly lives is already given to you once you became born again. Remember when Jesus was about to leave the earth just before the cross, he said to his disciples, it's good that I leave. Then he explained why in John 16, verse 7. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. The helper is his Holy Spirit. He's the agent of God's divine power. So when you're born again, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you so that all the blessings of God are available to you, physically speaking, 
It's like this. I have my new little granddaughter, Mackenzie. And uh, everything she needs to live in this world is all packaged up in that little tiny body of hers. Everything she needs to live physically on this earth was given at birth. The problem is she's still a baby and doesn't know how everything works. That's funny. I've seen this with all my grandkids. At first they tried to bring that, that, that binky, you know, or passy, or nookie, or whatever you guys want to call it. It's all different in every family. They try to get it to their mouth. But what happens? It doesn't hit their mouth. It gets their ear. It gets their eye, you know. Until about eight months, eight months old or so. And then all of a sudden they get it. And then by a year, I mean, they're flipping it with their tongue. They're twirling it around. They got it down. And then by a year and a half, they're stealing other kids' binkies and putting it in their mouth. It's just it's in nature. But, but anyway, they didn't need to develop another mouth so that it could be easier to, re- to receive that binky. They didn't need more eyes to, to see better that binky. No, everything they needed was packaged, neatly packaged up in that little body. They just needed to learn to appropriate what they have. In the same way, everything that we need for living godly lives and enjoying life to the fullest has already been given to us when we first became born again. We just need to learn to appropriate what we have. Everything, Peter says, we have that pertains to life and godliness. The word godliness in verse 3 can also be translated true worship. Through His divine power, He's given us all things that pertain to life and to true worship. The word worship means to, to, to show God's worth, worth-ship. Everything we need to know God and show Him worth and live holy lives has been given to us at our new birth. So we need to appropriate it. And then Peter says, here's the key. And so the knowledge of Him who's called us by glory and virtue. Again, the same word for knowledge means an intimate knowing, an experiential understanding. And the more intimate knowing and experiential understanding you have of Jesus Christ, you'll realize all the more that our God is truly a God of grace and love. Despite your failures, He's given us, through His grace, exceedingly great and precious promises, verse 4. And that brings us to point number 5, precious promises. Even though we may feel that our faith is weak, it may seem like we've failed over and over again, Peter says, I know how that feels. And I want you to know that God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises to help us comfort and, and to see us through, to help us to keep going. I've said this many times, and I love the fact that this big old salty fisherman, Captain Simon Peter, is using this word, precious. It just goes to show you how God changed his heart. You know, precious, it's like... Like a girl's word, you know, it's like, like, oh, how sweet. Guys, we don't say that, you know. There's a Precious Moments Chapel, you know, it's a girl's place. Hey, you want to go to Precious Moments Chapel? No, not really, I I really, no. Go to Lowe's or Home Depot, but not Precious Moments Chapel. But here's Captain Peter, and he's using the word precious. Why? Because Jesus' blood that was shed for us was precious, precious blood that saved a wretch like you, that saved a wretch like me. It was precious. That word precious also means valuable, costly, esteemed, and honored. This is powerful. Peter said, listen, what God has given to us in these these precious promises is valuable, costly, esteemed, and honored. Reminds me of Jeff Ferreira. He was reconciling his his, uh, checkbook when he called the First National Bank of Chicago to check his balance Electronic voice told him, you have a balance of $924,844,204.32. Is 
Sadly, it was a computer glitch. It wasn't his to keep. Yet in Christ, we are spiritual billionaires. And there's no glitch. It's grace. Your account gets accredited with God's righteousness. We've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. You know, there's something about the promises of God in that when it comes to God, a promise is a promise. God's not going to back out on His promises. For that, you and I should be extremely grateful. I mean, could you imagine if God did? If God said, you know, I know I promised I'd never leave you or forsake you, but you know what? I changed my mind. I'm done with you. See ya. God would never do that. I mean, wouldn't it be a real bummer when we get to eternity and we're about to enter in and Peter's standing there and says to you and I, hey, well, you know, he's changed his mind. You're not coming in. You're not on the guest list. In fact, he decided to do away with all the whole heaven thing and, and, and mansion and all that stuff. Wouldn't do it. That would never happen. Because the God who never lies promises heaven. He promises eternal life with him to all, to all who believe, to all who repent and trust in the finished work of the cross. And when God makes a promise, a promise is a promise. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Period. End of story. God doesn't change. You have His word on it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. We have His word on it. God will never change. And when it comes to His word, we're told in Psalm 138 too, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God holds his word above even his own name. That is powerful. So these precious promises are valuable. They're costly. They're esteemed. They're honored. And with these precious promises, here's what Peter says we can do in verse 4. We can escape all the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let me give you an example of how to apply God's precious promises. Let's say tomorrow morning you, you drive to work and you pull into the parking lot and at the same time your coworker does. And, uh, you know, he makes the same amount of money that you do, but he pulls in in that brand new car that you've had your eye on for quite some time. A new car or a new used car, not necessarily an item to cover, but with that said, it's the same car that you've been looking at. Your old car, let's just say, well, you're kind of tired of opening your door when you go to the drive-thru you know, to pay for your food because the window doesn't roll down anymore. Or getting in from the passenger side because the door doesn't open on the driver's side. And you really can't afford a new car right now, but, but here's what can happen in your heart. When you see that guy pull in the parking lot in that car, you jealousy, envy. And you go, what is he doing in that car? It can't be his. He's got to be borrowing from somebody. So he walks in and he's making a big deal over it, jangling the keys, proclaiming the great deal he got on this car. And he turns to you and says, hey, you want to go to lunch in my new car? No, I don't want to go to lunch in your new car. Listen, if you don't keep that, that greed in check, it can turn to hatred and rivalry and bitterness and all sorts of sin. Animosity, vengeance to the point where you're, you're letting the air out of his tires and keying his door. Well, hopefully not, you know, but perhaps in your heart, sure. Be careful. Because that is the corruption that is in the world through lust. It wants to defile you. But listen, if you... Know the precious promises of God. It checks you. And suddenly it leads you down that path of righteousness. Okay, what's a good precious promise for greed? How about Philippians 4.19? And my God shall supply all you need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So, so when God knocks in your heart, when you're being greedy, He reminds you, hey, keep it in check. Remember my promises. 
I will supply all your needs. If you want a car, I know that. If you need a car, I see that. So ease up. I've got something planned for you. I will meet this need exceedingly above what you may ask or think. So rejoice with this person. Be blessed with this person. As my word says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Romans twelve fifteen. Why? Because we've been giving exceedingly great and precious promises. I don't have to react to, the, to those feelings of envy or greed over my co-worker's new car. Instead, I can rejoice with them because I know my God has everything under control and God has blessed them this time. Same way Peter here talks about lust. We've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That, that really, it's talking about the definition of sin. But a good example of this, men, would be if some girl is walking along and you spot her and she's got on an outfit that makes you decide to look a little bit longer. It's been said the first glance is not your fault, but it's the second glance that becomes sin. But I know, and you know men, when that happens, there's a still small voice that you hear whispering in your ear, I'm going to kill you. And that's your wife. <laughs> no, it's, it's the Lord. <laughs> and it's, it's Holy Spirit telling you, Listen, there are precious promises to deal with greed. I mean, if, if, if I see someone gain something I may long for, God will give me the positive promise. He will supply all my needs. But when it comes to lust, there are promises I need for that. They're protective promises. A protective promise. How about 1 Corinthians 10.13? There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Here's where the Word of God knocks on your heart and says, here's your way of escape. Run. Don't look. Turn your head. Go the other way. And God will remind you of His Word in 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust and said, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Listen, that's why these promises are so precious because they're positive and they're protective and they work when we obey them. Not just quoting them, doing what is doing what they say. Now it must begin with hiding God's word in our hearts so the Lord can bring to our remembrance the promises that, that we need to see us through. I shared this recently when we say, Thus saith the Lord, we need to know what the Lord doth saith. David said in Psalm 119.11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So Peter the person tells the people the purpose of the letter, that we would grow in knowledge and that God has given us power and precious promises to do just that. And the promises are precious, which means, remember, valuable, esteemed, honored. They're costly because Jesus Christ paid the price for it at Calvary's cross. And I have the promise that I have access to God for his strength because Jesus Christ bled and died for my sins. If it weren't for that fact, we would have no promises. For so for you or I to live as if we have no strength in dealing with those areas in our lives that are slowing us down in our walk with Christ, it's just not true. We need to step back and see that, that we have everything we need to live a godly life. We have everything going for us. No matter how evil or awful this world may get, we've got some precious promises that this world is not our home. That we have a place prepared for us in heaven and soon, very soon, Jesus is going to come back and get us. But until then, we have the victory. And again, the only reason we have the victory and the only reason we have these precious promises at all is because Jesus Christ was broken. He was bruised for you and me. And only then can you really appreciate the preciousness of those promises.
because their, their preciousness is beyond, uh, their value is beyond calculation. And once I realize how precious they are, that tells me that I want to live my life to please God. I want to live in that divine nature that He's given to me, not, not my old nature. Again, verse 4, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I like Warren Wiersbe, his commentaries, and I love what he, he comments on Second Peter chapter 1 about our divine nature. And he says this, When the sinner believes on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impart the life and nature of God within. A baby shares the nature of its parents, and a person born of God shares the divine nature of God. The lost sinner is dead, but the Christian is alive because he shares the divine nature. The lost sinner is decaying because of his corrupt nature, but the Christian can experience a dynamic life of godliness because he has God's divine nature within. Mankind is under the bondage of corruption, Romans 8.21, but the believer shares the freedom and growth that is a part of possessing the divine nature. End quote. But then Warren goes on in his commentary to say that the nature deals with four areas of life, and he says that their nature determines appetite, nature determines behavior, Nature determines environment, and nature determines association. And when you think about that, you realize how true that really is. For example, the first one, nature determines appetite. Many of you know that my daughter Laura and son-in-law Dan have a little dog named Bentley. Little Cavapoo, I've talked about it many times before. He, he, he's great for sermon illustrations. It works. Now, Bentley's nature determines Bentley's appetite. When Laura gets up in the morning, little Bentley is excited because he's going to get some of that hard diamond-shaped dog food that she feeds him. Now what's amazing is that he will eat the stuff, this rock-hard diamond-shaped dog food, twice a day. In fact, he'll go over to the bowl and paw at his bowl as he waits with great anticipation to eat the stuff. Now I think, you know, if my wife fed me every morning and every evening rock-hard diamond-shaped dog food week after week, after about the first day, I wouldn't be pawing up my bowl for more. Now, you may say, but you don't know my wife's cooking. Rock-hard diamond-shaped dog food would be an improvement. Well, I'm sorry for you, but, but here's my point. Nature determines appetite. If I say, Bentley, you want a puppy cone? The little puppy cones from Andy's frozen custard. Man, that dog, his ears are up, and he's ready to go. And the tail's wagging. He knows. He knows by the inflection of my voice what that means. He'll get some snack. He's going to get something that's good to eat. So Bentley's nature determines his appetite. He's a dog. Whenever there's food around, that's what he wants. Well, let's move from appetite to behavior. Nature determines behavior. Let's stay with Bentley the dog as an example. If Bentley's over our house, and I throw this little stuffed animal pig with a little squeaker inside, Bentley will dart out after that like he was retrieving dinner for his master. And he'll shake that thing back and forth in his mouth and just to tear it apart until he gets that little squeak around. He's actually done that before. Now, if we have friends over our house, and Lisa throws a little stuffed pig with a squeaker in it, and I make a mad dash for it, we have a problem. <laughs> Why? Because that's not my nature. I'm not a dog. Though I've been in the doghouse many times before, it doesn't make me a dog. So we have your nature determines your appetite. Your nature determines your behavior. Next, we have your nature determines your environment. Nature determines environment. Let's move from a dog to a cat. One we used to have, Tinkerbell. I brought her up many times before just to 
honor her memory. When we had the cat, she would sleep in the laundry room. She had her blanket in there and her water, and she too had her rock-hard little kitty food, but for the most part, didn't, Tinkerbell didn't mind it too much. Now, on the other hand, if my wife Lisa tells me I have to sleep in the laundry room on a blanket with my rock-hard kitty food, there's a problem. Like, it's not my nature. So there's appetite. There's behavior. There's environment. And fourthly, there's association. Nature determines association. Association means cats should hang out with cats, dogs with dogs. You don't take your cat to the movie, normally. Don't bring them to church. Although years ago, in my old church in California, there's a guy kind of disturbed me bring his cat to church. It's a problem. But Cats should associate with cats because that's their nature. So I say all these things to ask the question, what is your nature? If you've been born again, then you have the divine nature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And if you truly have that divine nature, then it's now you're in your nature to follow after God, and it's going to affect your appetite. It's going to affect your behavior. It's going to affect your environment, and will, it will affect your association. Because as a Christian, your appetite should be for the things of God. Your appetite should be for the Word of God. You'll want to devour the Word. Isaiah 28.10 tells us we should study precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. In other words, Sunday morning is just not going to be enough for you. You want to be here on Wednesday night. You want to be here when we have our men's study or women's study. Maybe go to the Greek class and the Hebrew class. Every opportunity uh, you get to gather together and break open God's Word, you're going to want to take, even if it's only for a little bit, a little here, a little there. On top of that, you don't only rely on what we do here at Calvary to feed on God's Word. You feed yourself. You have your devotional life because you've got this appetite for spiritual things. You're hungry for the Word of God. Listen, my role, my goal as a pastor is to whet your appetite for the things of God so that you'll desire to dig in deeper for yourself. But if you don't have a spiritual nature, that means you're not born again and that means you're not going to have the spiritual appetite. And if you don't have that spiritual appetite, then while I'm teaching and, you know, you're thinking... I wonder how crowded First Watch is going to be for breakfast as soon as church is over. Is that rain I hear on the outside? <laughs> You're looking at your phone. You're looking at Facebook and checking your text messages and emails, pretending to look at a Bible app. <laughs> and if that's true, then it tells me you're not where you need to be. Listen, we can move right up the ladder. What about behavior? Behavior is a Christian. If your appetite is for the Word of God and you crave the Word of God, then it's going to affect your behavior. Environment, you will like church if you have a heart after God. Your environment in your home will reflect the things of God. The pictures on the wall, the the TV shows you watch, the movies, the places you go, your social media pages, your search history on your computer, or even just conversation in your own home. If you have a heart after God, it will affect your environment. And when it comes to your association... You like to hang out with other Christians. You want to hang out with them. You can't wait to come to church because you get to have fellowship with other believers that you've missed all week long at work if you have a heart after God, if you have that divine nature. But if you're not trusting in the precious promises of God, it's going to affect your environment, your association, your behavior, and your desire to please God. And as a result, you'll suffer, we suffer, the church suffers, 
Because without an ab- uh, appetite for God, the church then just becomes just a social club. And pretty soon you're going to find fault with, with the social club you're at, and you're going to want to find one that has something more to offer. Well, this, this, this church down the street has a 24-hour fitness center. Or I'm going to go over to this church because they actually offer virtual reality church and I don't even have to get out of bed to go to church. Listen, if that's where you're at, then you need to ask, what is your nature? Is it for the things of God or is it for the things of this world? Because if you start trying to fill your life with other things rather than appropriate what God has already given to you, you are never going to be satisfied. You'll continue just day after day to come up empty. That's why it's not a matter of needing more or something different, but again, appropriating what God has already given to us. It's not enough to just have what we need. We must use what we've been given. It's applying God's word, his precious promises, into our lives. I want to share one more quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says this, and I quote, If nature determines appetite, and we have God's nature within, we ought to have an appetite for that which is pure and holy. Our behavior ought to be like that of the Father, and we ought to live in the kind of spiritual environment that is suited to our nature. We ought to associate with, with that which is true to our nature. The only normal, fruit-bearing life for the child of God is a godly life, end quote. Listen, we started our study talking about getting back in the game. Peter, the person, did it, and so can we, the people he's writing to. It's because we have a purpose in life. And we have the the power to accomplish it through the Holy Spirit. And on top of that, we have the precious promises of God. Do you believe that? Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have all you need to succeed in life, to make a difference in this life. Even if you fell, God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond what we can ask or think. God can use you once again, just as he used Peter to make an impact on our life some 2,000 years ago. Finally, I want to close with this story. One man, at seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, and he had to work to help support them. At age nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he wanted a debt to become a partner in a small store. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him. She said no. At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as a vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost. At 51, he was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln, a man many considered the greatest leader this country have ever had. Who knows what God can do for you? So get back in the game. Finally, as we close, if you don't know Christ this morning, I want you to know that God loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you on the cross. And if you put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You'll get that divine nature. He will change you. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over in just a minute, please come up and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, let you know what it means to follow Christ. I want to close by leaving us with this precious promise of God. It's found in Deuteronomy 31.8. It says, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. 
Do not fear nor be dismayed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the precious promises that you give to us. Lord, help us as we study your word to apply those promises to our lives, Lord, to put them into practice. Not just here, oh yeah, that's a good verse, that's something I should do, but actually do it. Lord, help us to, to walk the walk you've called us to do. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that has never given their life to you, they're not born again uh, this morning, Lord, that you would touch their heart especially, that they would not leave here without making that commitment to you. They would see their need to repent of their sin and come to you. Lord, we ask for an empowerment of your Holy Spirit. We recognize that we can't do these things without your power. We can't live in that divine nature that you've given us with the power to back it up. So Lord, fill us afresh with your Spirit this morning. As we leave this place, Lord, that we will will walk out of here victorious, Lord, not defeated, knowing that the work was done upon the cross for each and every one of us. Thank you for the joy that it brings to us, Lord, knowing our sin is forgiven, knowing, Lord, that you're going to come back very soon to bring us home with you. We never have to deal with this, this world in this way again. Thank you for your precious promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.